As I begin this morning, I have an exercise that I'd like you to do together. If you open up your Bible study outline, you'll see a statement there, and it says this, I am blank. Now, there are three blanks, and what I want you to do is to put a word in that blank, but don't start until I say go, because I want to tell you what not to write in the blank. I don't want you to write how you feel this morning. Don't write, I am happy, I am sad, I am sleepy, I am grumpy, whatever it happens to be. This is about your personality, your character traits. You could say, for example, I am dependable, um, I am creative, I am outgoing, that kind of thing. So are you ready? I'm going to give you just a couple of seconds here. And uh, when you get finished writing, just look up and then I'll know that you're finished. But Bruce, if you'd put on some music, write down three things that describe you. I am what? Go. Okay, I notice that some of you are getting assistance from the person sitting next to you this morning. That's allowed. You can consult with your coach. But what you've written down this morning is really important because how you see yourself determines how you act and how you react in life. Now, let me ask you this. Is it possible to have too high a view of yourself? Is that possible? Yeah, of course it is. Um, I was thinking about a quote that I heard a number of years ago by a baseball player, his name's Mark McGuire. He had a season where he hit 70 home runs and they were interviewing him and just asking him about his season and he said, I am in awe of myself. <laughs> so if you wrote down something like, I am unbelievable, I am in a league of my own, what you might need this morning is a little humility. <laughs> now on the other hand, is it possible to have too low a view of yourself? Well, of course. There was a a story that I read this week in Reader's Digest, it was about an announcement in a newspaper um, called the Rock Hill Herald, and it said this, low self-esteem support group meets at 7 p.m. at Eastview Baptist Church. Those attending, please use the back door. <laughs> now, why is how we see ourselves so critically important? Well, consider this. If you see yourself as a loser, how are you going to act? probably like a loser. If you see yourself as a victim, how are you going to act? Like a victim. If you see yourself as a creative problem solver, when you run into a problem, how will you act? You'll probably find a creative solution because that's how you see yourself. Norman Vincent Peale tells a story about walking through the streets of Hong Kong one time and he saw this tattoo parlor. And in the window were all these samples, different kinds of tattoos that you could get, things like a flag, an anchor, a mermaid. But what struck him were three words that could be tattooed on your body. Born 
to lose. So he enters this tattoo shop and says, the, uh, says to the Chinese tattoo artist, does anybody really ever have that phrase tattooed on their body? And the guy said, yeah, sometimes. And Norman Vincent Peale said, I just can't believe that anybody in his right mind would do that. And this Chinese man tapped on his forehead and said in broken English, before tattoo on body, tattoo on mind. Let me ask you this, what image of yourself is tattooed on your mind today? What image of yourself is tattooed on your mind today? My goal this morning, church, is to help you see yourself the way that God sees you. And listen carefully, because I want us to go a step further. I want us collectively, as a church family, to see ourselves as God sees us. Now, why is that so important? Because how we see ourselves as a church determines how we act as a church. It determines how we respond to opportunities and to challenges. How we see ourselves as a church determines the goals that we set, the dreams that we have for the future. How we see ourselves as a church determines what we believe is possible as we work together. And and let me say this. If you're here this morning and you're just kind of checking out the Christian faith, you have questions about what it means to, to follow Jesus, I am so glad you're here. Because I hope the message this morning will help you see two things. First of all, how much you matter to God. And secondly, how much God wants you to be a part of his family. But here's the deal. In order to see these things about ourselves and about our church, we need a certain perspective. Now, you've heard me talk about this before. It's the idea of gospel glasses. The idea of looking at things, looking at ourselves, looking at our church through the lens of the gospel. Now, what does the word gospel mean? Two words. Good news. It's the good news about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he came to accomplish. And when we look at things through that lens, through the story of Jesus, it changes everything. And here's what I mean. We talk about the good news, but what comes before the good news? The bad news. And we talk about this fact that, you know, the Bible says that we are people who come into the world with a heart that pulls us away from God, away from his purpose, away from his plan, and we have a heart problem. Now, when you really begin to see that and understand that, it changes your perspective. And you realize that, you know, this book really is describing the condition of the human heart. And the book says this, the Bible says that because of our sin, we're separated from a God who is holy. And because this God is just, he has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And when you look at that truth through the gospel lens, you go, man, I'm in trouble. I need God. And when you look at the story, you also realize very clearly that God cares about me and and God wants me to be a part of his family. In fact, why did Jesus come to this world? So that we could be part of God's forever family. And that is the story of redemption that we find in the Bible, that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, And that's a really important idea because the Bible says that there is one God, but this one God exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Son, that's Jesus Christ, comes to our world, becomes a human being, which is a mystery that we really can't wrap our minds around, but he becomes one of us. He retains his nature as God, but now he's completely human, and he lives a life we could never live, a perfect life, and then he does this. Because he wants us to be adopted into God's family, he goes to a cross. And he allows himself to be arrested and beaten and crucified. And what God does is amazing. God puts our sin on Jesus 
and punishes him in our place. This, this wrath of God against sin is poured out on Jesus instead of us, and Jesus dies the death that we deserve. And what's the rest of the story? Three days later, Jesus comes back to life, and, and Jesus has this remarkable invitation. He says, look, come and follow me. I want you to have a new life, and here's how that new life is possible. You have to admit that you are a sinner, that you've broken my Father's laws. And you have to believe that I am who I claim to be and that I died for your sin and that you're willing to choose my leadership, that you will live my way instead of your way. And when you make that choice, you become a Christian. Now, here's what I want you to see. When you become a Christian, you get a new record because you've been completely forgiven. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you get a new identity. Now you are a son or a daughter of God. And when you become a Christian, you get a new potential. Because when you look at the challenges in your life, it's not just what you can do. Now God is living in you through his spirit. And now you can do things that not only please God, you can attempt great things for God. But to see that, what do you have to have on? Yeah, gospel glasses. Now imagine this. I mean, it's a wonderful thing when somebody takes their gospel glasses and, and comes to the realization, you know what? I have a new record. I have a new identity. I have a new potential because Jesus is living in me. But what would happen, church, if a whole group of Christians, a whole church of Christians, all picked up their gospel glasses and looked not just in the mirror, but looked at each other and said, you know what? You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You have a new record, a new identity, a new potential. We have a new potential because we belong to God. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I, I hope this message will deeply encourage you as an individual. But church, I hope this message will encourage us to attempt great things for God. So are you with me? All right, here's what we're going to do. We're continuing this series called Living God's Way. And we're looking at this letter that Peter wrote, a follower of Jesus 2,000 years ago. It's 1 Peter and we're going to see the way that God sees us and how he wants us to see ourselves. So here's the first thing. When God looks at us, we need to see that we are acceptable. We are acceptable. Now look at this Bible verse that describes who we are as members of God's family. Peter says, but you are, you are the ones chosen by God. Chosen for the high calling of priestly work. We're going to talk about what that means in just a minute. Chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. Now notice this phrase, from nothing to something, from rejected to what? Accepted. Accepted. You know, one of the deepest desires that we have as human beings is for other people to accept us. And that desire for acceptance drives a lot of our behavior. Sometimes it, it causes us to buy a certain kind of clothes because we want to be accepted, or to drive a certain kind of car, or to have a certain kind of career. Now let me ask you this, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you when you were younger um, ever were dared to do something that wasn't really wise and you did it anyway? Maybe it was a little dangerous or even foolish. A lot of us have done that, haven't we? You know what drives that behavior often? A desire to be accepted. Because we know how it feels when somebody accepts us and we know the pain of being rejected by other people. Now here's what I want you to see. Your identity, your, your self-concept is based not only on how you see yourself, it's also based on how you think other people see you. And that's why often we will do all kinds of things in order to be accepted. And this is what often happens in relationships. You'll, you'll get to know somebody, you're building this friendship, 
and you're trying to get this person to um, respect you. Sometimes you're trying to please the other person and then something will happen and they'll say one word of disapproval and it crushes you. It damages your idea of who you are. Now here's what I want you to see. We have a choice about how we live when it comes to our identity and our self-concept. We can believe what other people say about us or we can believe what God says about us. And God says this, that as you're, as you're looking in the mirror, you need to realize that you're God's son or you're God's daughter when you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And because of that, you're completely acceptable to God. Not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. Not because of what you've done or haven't done, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And this is so important, church, for us to look at each other and say we are acceptable to God. Now, I was sharing with first service something that I think is helpful when it comes to realizing just how much God loves us and accepts us. And you might want to write this down if you've got a, a pen this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Some of you know that's a chapter in the Bible that talks about love. It's often read at weddings. But it talks about the characteristics of love. Now, the Bible says that God is love. And so you can take the phrase, our Father, and put it in place of love. And here's how that passage would read. Our Father is patient. Our Father is kind. Our Father does not envy. Our Father does not boast. He is not proud. He is not rude. Our Father is not self-seeking. I love this. Our Father is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Our Father does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Our Father always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Our Father never fails to love us and accept us. Isn't that amazing? So first of all, church, we are what? What's the first thing you can look at your notes? We are acceptable. And here's the second thing, we are valuable. We are extremely valuable. You can base your identity, your sense of self-worth on so many things, your appearance, your intelligence, your athletic ability, your job status, your financial achievements, all kinds of things. But the Bible says that as a member of God's family, the fundamental reason that you are valuable is this. You belong to God. You belong to God. This is what Peter says. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Now this morning, I brought something that belongs to me. It's a pair of New Balance shoes that I walk in and run in. And let me ask you this, how much do you think these shoes are worth? If I were gonna auction these off, where would the bidding start? A dollar, is that what I heard? You know what, I'm going back to first service. They started at five. Okay, they're worth a certain amount of money, right? However, let me tell you about another pair of athletic shoes. These belong to Michael Jordan. And they were shoes that he wore in a very famous championship game. He had the flu. Some of you may remember this from a number of years ago, and his teammate Scottie Pippen held him up. But these shoes, I've got a picture right here, sold at auction for how much money do you think? More than a dollar. How much do you think? Yeah, here's, it's an unbelievable amount of money, $100,000 for a pair of shoes. Why? Because they belong to Michael Jordan. That's what makes them valuable. Church, do you realize the incalculable value that we have because we belong to God. Isn't that amazing? And notice this, the value is something, 
is not just based on who it belongs to, but how much people are willing to pay for it, right? So if you're a parent, let me ask you this. If somebody kidnapped your son or your daughter, how much would you pay to get them back? Everything you have, whatever it takes. Why? Because they're that valuable to you. How much did it cost God to adopt us into his family, to rescue us? It cost him the life of his son. And if you ever doubt, if you ever think, God, I just don't matter that much to you, remember the cross. Remember what what Jesus did. And look at this verse, because Peter makes it really clear. He says this, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Isn't that incredible? So church, first of all, we are what? What's the first thing? Look at your outline. Okay, we are acceptable. What's the second thing? We are valuable. And here's the third. We are useful. We are useful. One of the biggest fears that people have as they get older is this. I won't be useful anymore. I will become useless. Christian, I want you to know this morning that as a member of God's family, you are and always will be useful to God. Do you realize that? You are right now and will always be, whatever happens in your life, you will always be useful to God. And we see that idea here again in this passage in Peter. He says, you also, speaking of believers, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. Now, let me show you a picture of some stones that are put together in a wall. Because this is what Peter is, is trying to get us to understand. Now, are those stones all the same size? Obviously not. Different shapes, different colors. But some master craftsman has taken those different stones and put them together in this amazing matrix to make this wall. And that's a picture of the church because we're all different people, aren't we? We come from different parts of the country, different backgrounds, different gifts, different abilities, different personalities, different life experience. And God says, you are like a living stone and I'm putting you together to build this house in which I will live. That's who we are as a church. And we know this because for years and years and years, we didn't have a church building. We met in different places, in a home, in an elementary school, in a middle school. We know that the church is not a building. The church is what? People, the church's people. But are we thankful for buildings? I am very, very thankful for the buildings that God has provided for us. And I was thinking, it was Wednesday night, and we had just gotten the news that we got our certificate of occupancy, and we've been waiting and waiting to pull the trigger and, you know, be able to move into the addition and use that um, for ministry. And Wednesday night was the first night that we did that. And I was walking in front of the church here, and I saw all these kids and families going in and out of the building. It was like this little anthill, and and the parking lot was full, and I thought to myself, God, this is so exciting. This is so amazing, because this is something I've shared with you before. Buildings, in and of themselves, don't change lives, but what happens inside them does. And I know this, over the years, Different places, different buildings where we've met, God has changed lives. And just looking out at you this morning, I know that, that so many of you have had your life changed as we gather in these different spaces to worship. And here's the reality. A building is a tool. It's a tool for ministry. It's a tool to accomplish God's purpose. And, 
And I want you to see this. The, the tool, the building that we're in right now is made possible. When people like you and me really believe that God will use it to accomplish his purpose, and because we believe that we're willing to sacrifice our financial resources in order to see it built. And church, I just want to say thank you. Not just for the financial resources. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your talents. Thank you for investing your life in the ministry of Boynton Beach Community Church. Because I'll tell you what, God is making a tremendous difference. Not just here in our church, but in our community, in our world. And I'll tell you what, the best days of this church, I believe, are ahead of us. God has so many opportunities that he's given to us. And I'm glad that we get to do this together. And I want to let you know, too, we're going to have a, a dedication ceremony for our new building addition. In a couple of weeks, we'll let you know what that's going to look like. But I was thinking today how thankful I am. Um, I remember it was just back in January. How many of you were here at the groundbreaking ceremony? Remember, it was cold that, that morning. And we just had this, this vision of a building and all that would take place. Well, it's become a reality because of the grace of God and because of your commitment. So thank you, church. Hey, let's, let's review real quickly. Um, as members of God's family, we are first. What's the first thing? Acceptable. Secondly, we are valuable. Third, we are useful. And here's the fourth. We are capable. We are capable. Listen to this story. One day, three men were walking along and came upon a raging, violent river. They needed to get to the other side but had no idea how to do it. The first man prayed to God saying, Please, God, Give me the strength to cross this river. Poof. God gave him big arms and strong legs, and he was able to swim across the river in about two hours. Seeing this, a second man prayed and said, God, please give me the strength and the ability to cross this river. Poof. God gave him a rowboat, and he was able to cross the river in about an hour. Well, a third man had seen how this had worked out for the two other men, so he prayed to God saying, God, please give me the strength, the ability, and the intelligence to cross this river. And poof. God turned him into a woman. She looked at the map and then walked over the bridge to cross the river. <laughs> I hear the ladies laughing, but not much coming from the guys right now. I guess I'm going to have to balance that out with a different story next week. But let me ask you this. Guys, ladies, have you ever stood there trying to get across that raging river and thought, I just can't do this? too hard. God, I really want to be a good wife and a good mother, but it is so hard. God, I want to be a good husband and a good father, but Lord, I, I just can't do this. Have you ever just felt incapable of handling the pressure and the problems in your life? Maybe you feel like that right now. I read this week that according to the American Institute of Stress, I bet that's a really fun place to work, the American Institute of Stress. 43% of Americans suffer from stress-related health problems. That's a lot of us, isn't it? Now, I want to make a very bold statement this morning, and then I want to back it up from Scripture. But listen to this. Consider this carefully. As a member of God's family, you are capable of handling anything that God allows to come into your life. Do you believe that? As a member of God's family, you are capable of handling anything God allows to come into your life. Now, let's take that to another level. As God's family, the church, we together 
are capable of handling anything that God brings into the collective life of Boynton Beach Community Church. Now, why is that true? Why is that true? The answer might surprise you, because here it is. Are you ready? Nod your head if you're ready. Here's why you're capable of handling anything that, that God allows to happen. Because you are a priest. And some of you are going, what? A priest? What is that about? Well, I want you to notice what Peter says, and I'm going to explain this. He says this, but you, God's people, are chosen. You're a chosen people, a royal, and what's that next word? Priesthood. You see, there's this teaching in the New Testament that says that every Christian is a priest. Now, for those who come from Catholic backgrounds, this could be a, like a revolutionary idea because people who come from Catholic backgrounds think, I've got to go to a priest in order to have access to God. Now, in the Old Testament, God's people were divided into two groups. Essentially, you had those who were priests and those who weren't. Now, the priests were the ones who led worship, and they had direct access to God. But all of that changed when Jesus came to our world and laid down his life on a cross. And there's an event described in the Bible that is revolutionary. It happened on the day that he was crucified. And this is what happened. The priests were in the temple, and they were carrying out their duties as priests, and they heard this sound. And it must have been a really loud sound. It was this, this curtain being ripped in half, and the curtain was called the veil of the temple. It was about 70 feet tall. I mean, that's really tall. And about four to six inches wide. And this veil separated the place that was called the Holy of Holies. And the priest knew that, you know, if you went into the Holy of Holies, because that's where God's presence is, if you go in there without following all of these, these rituals, then you're gonna die. And so they must have been terrified when they heard the sound of this curtain ripping, and they must have thought, oh no, God's gonna get out. But I believe that God has something so different in his mind. And it was, oh, great, people are going to be able to get in. And that's exactly what happened. When Jesus lays down his life, when he makes it possible for us to be forgiven, he blazes a path for us so that we have direct access to God now. And that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can ask God for what we need. And listen, that's why you're capable of handling whatever happens in your life because you can go directly to God. You don't need a priest. You go directly to God and say, God, I have no idea what to do. I need your wisdom. God, I am so tired. I just feel like going back to bed. I need your strength. God, my kids are driving me crazy. I need patience. You can go to God and ask for whatever you need. Now, let me just make it real simple. Here's why you don't need a priest. Because you are one. You are one. And I love what the Apostle Paul, Paul was a, a man of the first century who decided to follow Jesus. He just had his life completely turned around. He wrote a lot of the books in the New Testament. And he said this, I can do, some of you know this verse, I can do how much? All things through Christ who gives me what? Strength. See, Paul understood that. I can go directly to God and get what I need to accomplish what God's called me to do. That's true of you and me, and that's true of us as a church. And here's a beautiful verse. This is in 2 Corinthians, where Paul says this. Such confidence, the confidence that we're capable, such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our confidence comes from where? From God. I mean, how would your life change if you really believe that? 
You saw yourself as capable of handling anything that God allows to come into your life. And church, what would that mean for us collectively? If we knew, you know what, together, together as God's people, we can handle anything that happens in this world. And notice this. This is a very interesting thought. The idea of being a priest is found in a Latin word. The Latin word for priest is related to bridge. And that's what a priest was in the Old Testament, right? You have God who's way up there and people who are way down here, and the priest is the bridge between people and God. But now in the New Testament era, we're still a bridge, aren't we? A Christian is a bridge between people who need to know that there's a God who loves them and the truth of the gospel. We are still bridge builders. That's who we are. And I think it's so incredible when you um, think about this idea of being a bridge builder. I was thinking about the letters BBCC. What do those stand for? Who knows? Yeah, Boynton Beach Community Church. It's kind of funny when we were trying to get our domain name, we tried BBCC and there are a lot of other um, organizations that had that name like the uh, Black Bears Conservation Club. So we, we found another name, but, but consider this. This is a different way that you can look at those letters, BBCC. Building bridges to our community for Christ. Building bridges to our community for Christ because that's what God's called us to do. Okay, quick review, church. As members of God's family, we are, what's the first? Say it loud. Acceptable. We are valuable. We are useful. We are capable. And finally, as members of God's family, we are forgivable. We are completely forgivable. Not long before she died in a moment of surprising candor, a lady named Marganitza Lasky, one of America's best-known secular humanists and novelists, said this in a TV interview. What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. Look at this final Bible verse. It says this. Bruce, if you could advance that for me. Let me read it to you. It says this. Once you were not a people but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are people who have been forgiven. I heard a story about this pastor in a church and he was doing a children's sermon. That's what they did on Sunday mornings. They would have a time when he would talk to the kids and then they would be dismissed to their classes. So he's doing this um, little object lesson about forgiveness and he brings this old t-shirt and it's stained, it's got holes in it and he says, you know what? This is like my favorite t-shirt in the whole world. And somebody said that I should throw it away and that it's ugly and it really hurt me. And I don't know if I want to forgive them. And so he asked the, the kids that were there, do you think I should forgive this person? And his six-year-old daughter, who happened to be in the group of kids, said, yes, you should. And, uh, and so the pastor says, well, why should I forgive this person? And his daughter, right in church, yelled out, because you're married to her. God says, listen, I'm willing to forgive you. I want you to be willing to forgive others. And church, note this. God wants us to be willing to forgive ourselves. Now, this morning, because we are God's people, there are things that God calls us to do. And that's really the final thought that I want to share with you this morning. 
I was watching a TV commercial the other day. It was a Geico commercial, and they've got a lot of different commercials. And Bruce, is it possible to put that one picture up? Can you do that? Yeah, great. How many of you have seen this commercial, this Geico commercial? A lot of you. And you know the story. There's this pirate captain, right? And so he's got this parrot, and the parrot starts saying things out loud that he's only said in private about the crew, and now the crew's ready to mutiny and kill him. And then the commentator says this, and I quote, if you're a parrot, you repeat things. It's what you do. Now there's a really powerful principle at play here, and it's simply this. Who you are determines what you do. That applies to you as an individual. Who you are determines what you do. And church, that applies to us. Who we are as a church determines what we do. And Peter makes that so clearly. If we could have the next slide, it says this. Peter's writing to Christians, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That's who we are. And this is what God's called us to do because of who we are, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now look at your outline for just a minute. And here's a statement on your outline. This next slide. We tell others, we tell others about the radical difference Jesus has made in our lives. When you're a Christian, you tell other people about Jesus. It's what you do. When you're a church, you tell people about Jesus. It's what we do. Let me just close with this story. In a book called A Forgiving God in an Unforgiving World, Ron Lee Davis retells a story, true story, of a priest in the Philippines who carried the burden of a secret sin he had committed many years before. He confessed what he did to God but still had no peace, no sense of God's forgiveness. In his parish was a woman who deeply loved God and who claimed to have visions in which she spoke directly with Jesus. The priest, however, was, was skeptical. To test her, he said, the next time you speak with Jesus, I want you to ask him what sin your priest committed while he was in seminary. The woman agreed. A few days later, the priest asked, well, did Jesus visit you in his dreams? Yes, he did, she replied. And did you ask him what sin I committed in seminary? Yes, I did. Well, what did he say? Jesus said, I don't remember. I just don't remember. Let's pray. Father, the reality is that as your people, we're not just forgivable, we're forgiven. And we're loved and we're accepted. And we belong to you. God, I pray so much for Boynton Beach Community Church, for the people here in this room, for the children in the other parts of, of our building, for our, our middle and high school students, that all of us would understand who we are and whose we are. And God, that we would live out of that identity, that we would have this desire to put on our gospel glasses, God, and to not only see ourselves, but to look at other people throughout the week and see that they need Jesus. God, you've given us so much in terms of opportunities, and you've entrusted us with with so many resources, help us to use them well for you. And God, right now, I pray for the person who maybe this day, for the very first time, has understood that they need a new life, that they want to follow Jesus. 
that they have come to understand that they matter to you and that you've invited them to become a part of your family. And I pray, Lord, that if somebody right here, right now, wants to follow Jesus, that they would just say this to you in their heart. And it doesn't have to be exactly these words, but just to, to say, God, I'm sorry that I failed you in so many ways. I know that I've sinned. And I pray that you'll forgive me. I know that's why Jesus died on a cross. And I believe that he is the son of God who died for my sin and who came back to life. And God, I really, really need a new life because I am so tired of trying to do it all alone. God, would you please do this? Would you, would you send your spirit into my heart, into my life? Because I want to live your way and not my way anymore. And Father, I know this. Every time that a person prays and really means that, you run to meet them and you just change their life so completely. And Lord, for those of us who know you, I pray that as we look in the mirror, that we'll see ourselves from your perspective. Lord, help us to see that we really do have a new record. We have a new identity. We have a new potential. That because of the gospel, there's nothing to, nothing to prove and nothing to hide and nothing to fear. God, we want to live with that kind of freedom because here's the reality, God. Peter said it so clearly. We've been redeemed. We've been bought with a price. God, help us to see ourselves. And even as we sing this last song, God, may it be this, this clear testimony that we belong to you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing together.